Hello and welcome to the Portrait of Knox podcast, the podcast where I usually am reading the picture of Dorian Gray, but this week we are joined by the terrifying and wonderful Peter Lewis. Hello. Well, hello. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for being here. We're going to go with a deep cut for the first one. Okay. So you do have a YouTube channel. In your very first YouTube video, that at least is still up there, you were interviewing a lovely dog. This is true. What inspired you to make that video? <laughs> I think it was a it was around some sort of gift giving event. It was like a birthday or a graduation or something like that uh, of mine that uh, m- some extended family was in town for, and I had been given a video camera just as a gift i was probably 18 i want to say and uh i was just looking for something to shoot something to film and we had this lovely little pug named penny i don't know if her name was ever part of the video but big reveal there you go (laughs) and uh she's just always up to shenanigans always trying to get the caps off of bottles stuff like that and uh i thought it would just be fun to pretend as though her reactions were part of an interview and it all spun off from there. So it's completely ridiculous. And one of the earliest things I ever uh, set to record, I suppose. After that, you started making a series, which when I watched it kind of reminded me in the style of like fact or fiction. Sure. And you did all these like conspiracy esque type videos. <laughs> What, uh, you always had these drawings in the background to go along with them. Like, what was the whole uh, idea behind that that series? Absolutely, yeah. I think that was called uh, Sinister Service Announcements, if mm. memory serves. And it was, again, just a, we're, we're bored and need something to do project with uh, me and my brother and a friend of ours. Um, so one of us did the illustrations, I did all the writing of the the stories and stuff, and then my other friend uh, did some of the actual monologues with me on camera there. And it was just, the idea of it was that pretty much every inanimate, non-sentient object you can think of harbors a deep ill will towards you and humanity for a specific reason. So it's something like marshmallows... You know, we're always impaling them on sticks and roasting them over a fire. How could they not hate us? Or, uh, you know, dark soda. What is it hiding? It's so dark in there. That sort of thing. It's just completely ridiculous monologues to drum up uh, public fear about things that should not be feared. It was really just a distraction from real, real fears (laughs) in the news. You could just think, oh, no, I'll worry about the marshmallows. It's true. The piggy banks were terrifying to listen to. Oh, yes. So you have started uh, live streaming now, which is also being included in your YouTube channel. What's been your favorite part about live streaming? I have really enjoyed that, and I appreciate anyone who who has checked it out and suffered through my company. It's... uh, it's been a while for me. I've been kind of on a on a track of keeping my nose to the grindstone, and every day I, you know, I have a 
eight to five desk job on weekdays. So every day I get up and do that. And then I have about six or seven hours of recording I should be doing and I don't always get to. Uh, to do and then I'm I'm stuck in spreadsheets and I'm stuck in editing and uh, I don't get out much or do anything and I realized at the beginning or at the end of this last year rather around Christmas that I just hadn't spoken to a human being in almost a year really was was the point it had gotten to and so I, I decided to just start streaming to uh, to have some sort of immediate connection to whoever happens to be in the chat or whatever and to be able to get my words out in a sense even if i'm just talking to myself and so i've i've really enjoyed enjoyed rather i was i was worried about that part of it the kind of sitting there talking to yourself you know like a like a fool would do in the town square <laughs> but it's actually very therapeutic and there's always lovely people in the chat who are encouraging you and cheering you on, you know, for the next boss or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's very therapeutic to just be among friends and talk to yourself sometimes. It's very nice. Do you have a favorite that you've played so far? Cause I know you've done journey or no, I think it was actually limbo, not journey. Uh, you've done red dead redemption and you're doing dark souls. And I think there's a few others that you've done like sure. one-offs. Yeah, I've done like full game playthroughs of some smaller stuff, Limbo, Inside, Little Nightmares. There's a really, really wonderful game called uh, Hellblade, Senwa's mm -hmm. Sacrifice, that I did mm -hmm. a full playthrough of. And then, like you said, Dark Souls, uh, Fallout. I've just been, I had a weird idea for Fallout that I just wanted to go through all the settlements and clean them. Like there's always trash in the settlements. And so I didn't want to, you know, fight bandits necessarily, but just clean up the city. And so I have a, a, too many projects going. Yes, Red Dead Online. And then hopefully today at some point I'll have a session to start uh, The Witcher, The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt. Mm. Which is another project I won't have any time for, but <laughs> I can't help myself. Will it be your first Witcher game? I uh, did play the very first one back on PC, and then I've played two and three on the Xbox side of things. Ooh. So I have been witchering for some time, but that does definitely does not mean I'm good at it. <laughs> <laughs> that is fair, but exciting. It's always nice to share stuff that you enjoy with other people. Absolutely, yeah. The other yeah. thing I've liked about streaming is the idea that with some things like inside or limbo that are kind of important to me for whatever reason that i would like to share with people and some people may not ever get to play it for whatever reason they may not have access or they may not be able to conjure up the thumb strength or whatever it is and i love the idea that i could take people on those journeys that they wouldn't be able to go on themselves Mm-hmm. yeah that that's kind of what got me into watching people do gaming was because I got ill when I was in my early 20s and I wasn't physically like willing to do it because it was like, oh, I just want to lay here and listen to people talk. And I'm like, oh, look. sure. And then it's like, oh, this was nice. Absolutely. Yeah, I've really come to kind of appreciate the, the companionship aspect of streaming is a much bigger part of it than I at first thought. I've kind of been hesitant to get into this whole world for a while you know you always see people in those those formula one gaming chairs 
mm-hmm. shouting about likes and subscriptions, and it never seemed very much fun to me, but I'm very glad to be proven wrong. You also do some readings of your own stories on your YouTube channel. There was one that I listened to that I really enjoyed. I could not find the title of again. It was about a monster and his sister and a pocket watch. Yes, absolutely. I think it's the Watcher of Pockets. <laughs> Bit of a pun name. Yep. <laughs> yeah, now I'm kicking myself that I couldn't remember that title. But uh, what inspired you to write that story? I really enjoyed that one. Absolutely. That uh, illustration, the mm-hmm. the little pink monster in question, is done by one of the uh, No Sleep podcast illustrators by the name of Chris Hookah. And she's phenomenally talented and a dear mm-hmm. friend. And um, she had just conjured up this little guy holding a watch, sitting on a stump in a, in a void. And it, it just sort of sparked something in me for whatever reason. So I asked her if I could kind of commission it for my own nefarious purposes. And uh, I just kind of came up with that poem over a day or so that seemed like... I don't know what exactly. It's not necessarily a metaphor for anything, but it's just sort of an experience, a a pocket of sorts that he's watching. I imagine that that little pink character kind of drifts around aimlessly between realities, and he just sees a lot of stuff. He's seen, you know, volcanoes erupting. He's seen the ends of worlds. He's seen new worlds born, and uh, he's just sort of sitting there seeing what happens and every time you meet him he's in a different situation so there are actually to spoil it there are a couple of follow-ups that are being we're working on uh, trying to animate some of it at the moment Mm. that may or may not happen again my skills (laughs) quite poor but uh we're, we're trying to see if we could do something down that vein so there is actually a sequel a watcher of pockets too on the way at some point it's exciting i am curious going off of this vein of this story what got you into writing sure yeah i guess that's always been my sort of go-to escape um when i didn't have internet access (laughs) now i have other people's words to read and and games to play and things to distract me from the the screaming void deep inside of me um but uh for a while we we had actually lived uh, pretty far up in the mountains in a rural area of, I think it was called Deer Creek, uh, Colorado, kind of near Ken Carroll, if you happen happen to know. Nobody will know. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so we didn't have a TV, and we didn't have internet, and we had no computers. My, uh, my parents were uh, semi-against that sort of thing. For, for a while, during my early childhood, they, they relaxed slightly as time went on. But uh, there were some strictures in place, mm. and uh, we had to make our own fun, shall we say. So we lived up in the mountains. We had about five acres of property. I'm, I'm TMIing now. <laughs> a lot of beautiful aspen trees, and we, we would just run around the forest. But I kind of realized <laughs> that I would be left to my own thoughts more often than I liked. So I started grabbing notepads and things and writing down stories. And I think it was actually a, our local library had a fantasy fest. It must have been 2005 or something, somewhere around there. They had a fantasy fest where 
anyone could uh, come in and drop a short story and it would be judged. I think strangely it was judged by, uh, I want to say Kevin Anderson, like the, the Star Wars novel guy and several others, many, many other series. So we actually had a celebrity guest judge for some reason. I have no idea how. And I got like second place or third place. Nothing, nothing great. And <laughs> it, it, of course, swelled my ego winning an award for, for writing some stupid thing. I think it was about ogres. Like it was about a, <laughs> again, TMI, but it was about a, like a human mercenary who was hired by a mage to take out this encampment of ogres that was bothering a town. Mm-hmm. And then he realized at the end, after he had killed the town full of ogres, um, that the mage had just made them look like ogres. They were actually humans. And oh, he was my. An evil, ha, 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 evil mage. I was like 14, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and so that, that one, again, third place, let's say. Let's, let's back it up to third place. And, and I, I never looked back. I had to be writing both to escape and in the pursuit of awards ever since that point. That is exciting, though. <laughs> I think everyone always enjoys getting their first validation on stuff that it's like, oh, someone outside of, like, maybe my family and my, my own brain actually also yeah. enjoys this. This is actually readable. Oh, other people understand. Yeah. So I started this podcast because I needed to practice doing different voices for my first D&D campaign that I was running. And I had like seven NPCs I had to practice. So I was like, you know what? We're going to do this. Yeah. You you guys have started a little while back, uh, but you started playing D&D with the White Vault cast. Was that your first uh, experience with D&D or a, ro- a tabletop RPG at all? It was, absolutely. I've, you know, tried to dabble in it before. I have a couple of the books and, you know, old Forgotten Realms stuff. And I never had, you know, again, any uh, any friends <laughs> to uh, to try it with. And I'd even dabbled, you know, way back in the day when I was, you know, 12 or so with the uh, miniatures because Lord of the Rings had just come out. Mm-hmm. And they were beginning to have Lord of the Rings miniatures, and that was all about what I was all about. Got to get that that Elrond armor miniaturized. <laughs> so, it, but I never actually got to play an official thing. I never had a dungeon master say to uh, to lead me down that path until Travis Vengroff, who is one half of the Fool and Scholar production team. I'll let you guess which one. <laughs> <laughs> and he. Uh, it graciously invited me to play first the Liberty version. They have a, whatever you would call it, a campaign or expansion or whatever of uh, their Liberty universe into the D&D 5e rules. And so I, my first foray into it was actually under a uh, sci-fi guise going out into Atreus and the uh, the Fringe. And that was far too much fun, but it was D&D rules, you know, same stats and roll checks and all that. Mm-hmm. And then subsequently we went back, it must have been about a year later, to do uh, Dark Dice, which is officially, it is still a custom written campaign, a horror-themed D&D campaign, but it's back in the, the spells and the swords and the bardic, bardic runes and such. So that has been far too much fun 
and I think there are actually two full sessions of that. There's a like a season one and a season two of Dark Dice in the bag, minus uh, retakes. And then I assume we'll be doing more sessions in the future. Nice. Was there a difference? Because I, uh, I forget if it was in your interview with them or just something that they had mentioned during one of their talks on the White Vault podcast. Uh, you guys had done a kind of like a practice session or kind of like a get to know you session where it was just free form. Not, I don't think it was recorded for anything, but just to get to know each other. How uh, was that different than doing the actual series where you guys are kind of doing it really in character and less so as like, you know, friends at the table? I know we did we did have a session that was very much all, you know, laughing and joking and the uh, the crunching of chips uh, during the early days. But I think we kind of tried to start off that way right from the bat. You know, the idea of it was to try to stay in character as much as possible. So I don't really recall not doing that. (laughs) Though I do remember it got a little more, uh, you know, we got more immersed as we went along. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what the the difference would be other than just me trying to be more professional. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and stay in character, which I still struggle with. That's fair. Uh, minor spoilers for people who haven't listened to all the episodes so far in the Dark Dice series. So forewarning. But um, I'm curious because it hasn't happened in any of my campaigns yet with my friends. What was it like when you guys had someone actually die in your campaign? Yeah, that was too bad, uh, to put it uh, mildly. I I distinctly remember how hard we tried to avoid that, like how hard we were looking at our sheets, thinking, what can I do here Mm -hmm. for uh, for poor sister Cavern's Fall? And it it was just one of those things that uh, someone kind of needed to die, (laughs) Mm -hmm. as regrettable as that is. And uh, and it was it was our good sister. So it's it's very devastating. You know, even when you're playing a game, it's like. It's not a real death. Your friend has not died, but they don't get to play with you anymore. They might as well be dead at that mm-hmm. point. It's it's very distressing. Yeah. It was a very impactful moment. Like, that whole series is pretty heavy <laughs> in sure. a good way. But, like, narratively, it's it's intense. And then it was kind of like, whoa. I think poor Travis was hoping there would be more of those, those whoa moments. And, and we have uh, <laughs> sneakily survived. He is desperately trying to kill us, really. (laughs) So, kind of diverting a little bit from that, you have opened up a Patreon account recently. I have. What has that felt like? Yeah, it has been very, very nice, very flattering that people have uh, have come along for the journey there. I I don't feel like I'm offering much (laughs) at the moment. I have a couple of, of poems and... You know, we're reading through uh, the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde together mm-hmm. on my Patreon. But uh, like I say, with the uh, the desk job I'm lashed to currently, there's very, very little time for these things. And I'm feeling like uh, right now I have a, a reasonable number of people. It's, there's far too many, really, who have followed me and are uh, are contributing to the cause. Um, that I can kind of play around with it. I have some freedom to do kind of what I want to do without having to feel the obligation of uh, 
of getting anything huge out there while I'm still kind of trying to transition away from this uh, this job, which has been nice. So I'm I'm at a good level of followers, low down on the on the scale. I think is what's allowing me to do that. But once I start to uh, pick up the pace, say if that should happen, if anyone is interested, I I will really have to put some effort into it. Is the idea. But it has been very, very nice to have something of my own. You know, for a long time I've been a contributor to things, for better and worse. I have loved my time contributing to various podcasts and getting things set up, but I haven't really had a lot to point to that was my own in that same way. Mm. And that's, you know, who am I to deserve such a thing? But I've been kind of trying to stand on my own two feet lately and rely less on uh, on the kind the kindness of David Cummings and uh, and Travis Vengroff, and basically force them to do all of my duties as if they were my managers, when they are not. And they have other things to do that are more important. So I, I hope that that is what I'm pulling off here. I really, I really can't tell. Well, it seems like people have been very excited from what I have seen, that they can finally join the Patreon. That's always heartwarming. Yeah, it definitely has been something people have been asking me for for a while, which is completely stunning and strange. <laughs> so I hope that if you're if you're looking for a way to throw me a toss me a coin, say, <laughs> you now have an avenue to do that, but uh, no obligation whatsoever to do so. So on your Twitter account, you like to post videos semi-frequently of you just drinking coffee. <laughs> what what uh, got that idea going? Sure. I really, I should have a good answer for that. It's something that every time I post, someone says, what does this mean? Like, what is he trying to say? And I'm, I don't have anything to say. I'm just saying, like, I'm tired, and, and I hope this takes care of that. And I, I assume that other people, I usually tend to post in the morning, you know, around 9 a.m. or something, and I hope that I'm catching people at the, the peak of their own sleepiness to the point where they can just go, ah, good, yeah, he's getting his coffee. I, I should do the same. And it's just sort of become a ritual for whatever reason, you know, a couple of times a month. Just to post one, and it, it really means nothing. It's it's just me checking in and saying hey, and I'm drinking coffee, and I'm alive. That's that's all it means. They are lovely when they come on my timeline, and I'm like at my desk falling asleep, and I'm like, oh good, someone else also understands. Yeah. I'm out here falling asleep. I'm with you. <laughs> I'm curious, has it ever not been coffee? There are there. There's a few times I've pulled the old uh, the sneaky switcheroo, and it's been empty. Like there's one video where I take a sip and then I flip it around in my hand, and then there's another one where I just drop it entirely. And then a, a few times it's been like water. Like I have these these little weird novelty clear cups that I love that I got off of Amazon or something years ago, and they're just these little glass like double walled insulated cups you can put mm. hot coffee in them even though they're glass and still hold it and so sometimes i'm using those just because i like i like how they look on the video they're like a weird illusionist thing that that excites me for some reason and so sometimes it's just been water and then sometimes people kept saying that it wasn't coffee i was drinking they kept saying it's it's alcohol you know that's that's clearly bourbon and hilariously it's actually that i was using these instant coffee crystals and i just didn't use enough <laughs> it wasn't wasn't anything sinister 
But uh, somebody kept saying, it's blood. He's drinking blood. And so I did one video where I'd put in coffee crystals and then I added a bunch of red food coloring. And so there's a video of me stirring this cup and it just gets slowly redder and redder as I'm smiling at the camera. And it's very, very inappropriate and creepy. (laughs) I think it's on brand, though. (laughs) Do you have any stories that you've recorded with We'll go with no sleep specifically, that you still, I don't know, my phrasing seems odd. I just want to say, like, holding your heart. <laughs> I'm like, that's sure. weird. <laughs> but something that's kind of stuck with you. Yeah, absolutely. There are a couple beyond the usual, you know, what's your favorite story? I have a couple of answers for that, but there's a couple that do sort of stick with me. The one I just did uh, for the Suddenly Shocking series, which maybe I shouldn't mention since it's so new, people may not have gotten around to it yet, but there's a very affecting switch in that uh, latest Suddenly Shocking. It must be Suddenly Shocking 11 at this point, question Mm -hmm. mark. And it's just a very interesting sort of plot idea this this guy is saying that he carried out executions essentially for a, for a totalitarian government or a, a crazy government um in the future at some point he carried out executions that were very inhumane it's the cruelest possible way to die intentionally they're the traitors to the state or whatever they are so of course they should die painfully and then you you find out at the very end spoiler alert that he killed every single one of them peacefully before any of it happened. He actually saved everyone from the cruelty of the execution by poisoning them in their sleep, essentially, before uh, the cruelty could happen. And as a result, he is the only one who actually has the execution performed. And that is was a very recent one that I just performed a few weeks ago, but it is hard to shake <laughs> mm-hmm. since... And there have been a few like that that just have a kind of a deep gut punch to them. I love stuff like that where it's just not what you think it is. Mm -hmm. Both coming and going. It's No sleep always manages to surprise me in that way, it seems. And Mm -hmm. they always pick such good ones for me, too. I should give credit where it's due to Olivia and the editorial team there. So... Because I've only been to one of the live shows and only just got onto Twitter this past year for the podcast, um, I actually don't know this. Uh, Have you ever performed at one of the No Sleep live shows? I was involved in the uh, first tour. It must have been 2017, like uh, February and March or something like that of 2017. We did our very first... U.S. tour, and then uh, the year after that, I want to say, there was another tour that I wasn't involved in, and I had hosted the podcast instead, but then at the end of the year, I think, again, that was like February, March, sometime early, and um, later on that year, 2018, it must have been, they, they had a second Halloween live show in Toronto, and David was very, very kind to invite me up for that one, so I had to get my uh, my passport and all that. For the first time, I've never gone anywhere or done anything important. And uh, I flew up to Toronto and performed uh, up there as well. And then during these last few tours, they've been uh, stopping in Denver, which I'm sure has has cost them. I think they've been stopping in Denver partially just to uh, soothe my ego, which is very, very kind. 
and I've loved to be able to jump in and see them and, and jump in on the on the road there. So I think both the 2018 tour and then again this year, they came to the Stanley Hotel. It was somewhere else in 2018, but this year they came to the Stanley Hotel and we, we did those. So I have not been involved in all of the performances by a long shot, but I have been involved in some of them here and there over the last three years. Is it? maybe intimidating doing these performances live versus, you know, having as many tries as you need to when you're recording them. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, the constant threat that you will completely lose control of your vocal cords and, and just belt out some sort of Kermit the Frog voice, which happens to me more often than not. It's probably happened during this interview. And the, <laughs> uh, the idea that that could happen during a live show with, you know, 700 people or whatever spread around you is fairly terrifying but i've kind of found that uh, once you start doing it you don't have time to be worried anymore like the the fear you have going leading up to the stage is the absolute worst part of it the the butterflies beforehand because that's when you're just backstage in a chair thinking to yourself oh god what's gonna go wrong but once you're out on stage and doing it you're like oh yeah i've been this is what I do. This is what I've been doing for the last 10 years. I, I can read words. Okay. And it just sort of takes a life of its own. You become this other person who is in the act of performing. And for me, I don't really get to watch. <laughs> like when I get up on stage, I'm incredibly nervous. Oh God, oh God, what's going to happen? Then I perform and that part is not me. I don't have access to those memory files. Mm -hmm. I perform, and then I come back, and then I'm like, oh, I wonder how it went. Just and then everyone... State. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's exactly like that. So I have no idea if that's common to performers, or if I should maybe get an MRI. <laughs> but that's how it works for me. I have heard people that have that experience. Before uh, doing any of the tours, did you ever do any theater work at all? I have not. Uh, like I said earlier, if I can try to segue, the, uh, mm -hmm. my, my parents were uh, a little bit avoidant of the world for a few reasons, and they had uh, decided to homeschool us. I, there's four children involved mm -hmm. in this uh, scenario, and I'm the youngest. I have two older brothers and an oldest sister, though I should think of a different, uh, different term for that. Uh, older, not oldest. And um, I, so I never had the opportunity, regrettably, though we, we had plenty of uh, opportunities to learn and to educate ourselves, I never had the opportunity to perform or to uh, have theatrical peers in that sense. Uh, that just wasn't open to me for a long time in my life. And so the only thing that I did do was my sister was involved in a local ballet company and they put on ballet recitals and I would be sometimes extra characters in that and we got to go to like a local high school and use the whole stage theater department for our own purposes and it was like a ghost town and I would just avoid all the uh, the ballerinas say and be off in a corner somewhere playing with lights and so I got a little bit of exposure to it through that at a young age because my um, my sister allowed me that opportunity but no, I never did get to do any uh, performing on stage or anything like that until 2017, 
strange to say, because it feels so fun. It does seem... like I should have been doing more of it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it seems uh, even more intimidating to be your first time going on stage for a crowd that large. Yeah, it was weird. It's kind of led into not an imposter syndrome, but just a, I'm very aware of my outsider status <laughs> in life. I always have been, and I've never, like I said, had the opportunity to be an insider in any mm-hmm. way. That's just clean off the table. So there's definitely an element of that. If you had, for some reason, decided to not pursue voice acting or writing, what do you think you would be wanting to do or end up doing? Sure, that is a very interesting question. Um, I am really not sure. <laughs> That's fair. I gave you a very existential question. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh it's fine. <laughs> Just trying to think. It's like I can't, uh, I've never been a very musical person regrettably i love music and i've always wanted to play music but again that's just something i've not been able to catch on to and so i wish i could say that i would be some sort of musician to keep it in a in a creative vein but that's we we all know that would be a lie just from listening to to my pitch right now so i don't know what i would be i I would probably be something as boring and out of the way as possible like a a far, far back room museum curator who just got to look at old things and gently clean them and take care of them. I would go for something like that. So with you being in Colorado, and I know a lot of voice actors are either in California, Texas, uh, do you think location has any any bearing on like voice acting opportunities that you can have? Because it seems like the best remote option but for some reason people kind of converge in these areas sure absolutely yeah it's one of those things that i've as i've kind of tried to inspect it from my distant standpoint um it does seem like everybody says you need to be in la you know if you're actually serious about this if you actually want to do this you need to be in la and you need to drive through the the desperate horrifying traffic every day of your life that's the only opportunity that's the only option you have and i've just never really wanted to do that uh, mm-hmm. being a traffic avoiding sort of person mm-hmm. and i'm sure they're right I, i'm sure that the opportunities would uh, would be flowing if i was doing this correctly but i very much liked the ability to be able to do it remotely here and i know that that's kind of gaining some popularity in in ways so I, I've been thinking about that myself and kind of struggling with that concept of, you know, do I, do I want to do this? And if I want to do this, do I believe the line that, you know, it's only possible moving to certain areas? And so far, it's just been a matter of I have not been able to summon up the resources to make such a jump, even if I wanted to. But yeah, it's definitely something that I uh, consider often it would be nice if there were other areas, like you said, where it started to gain more of a foothold. It would be nice if there were more options for people, mm-hmm. in my opinion. I agree. That seems like a horrifying prospect for everyone to just converge down in L.A. Yeah, and especially already... with the ease, like taking the No Sleep podcast as an example, just the ease of remote work for this sort of audio drama. I think we've kind of proven how effective it can be. None of us are ever recording in the same space or the same room. 
Mm-hmm. We very rarely see each other, and yet we somehow manage to piece together a coherent story, I, I hope. So I don't really see the purpose of not doing it remotely in, in yeah. that way. That's fair, and I think that is a really good point, because it's like, of all the jobs, this was made for remote access. Yeah, I've been very glad to be able to thus far. And I think my closing question will be a weird turn-ish, uh, but I'm staring at my cats right now that are just sitting in their in their tree tower thing. Judging. Judging me <laughs> silently, just like, oh, what are you doing with your life? You're not feeding me. Do you think with the stuff that you do on Twitter, if you ever had a little gremlin creature of your own, would you keep it private or share that with your with your fans and your audience and be like, look at it. Look what it's doing now. Absolutely, yeah. I am currently locked in a, a 600 square foot apartment that is not entirely pet friendly there are there are some uh, some strictures in place that i believe should not be so i have not uh, had a pet since i moved out of my family home that makes it sound like a grand estate somewhere but <laughs> i assure you it's not so i have not uh, had a furry friend to share much to my regret i'm hoping at some point i will not be in such a stern environment and it will just be a, an entire field, like the ending of 101 Dalmatians <laughs> on a farm. Just me and puppies, as far as the eye can see. That is the plan. And yes. if that happens, I will absolutely be sharing it on Twitter. Yes. <laughs> Everyone gets to be very excited to look forward to that future. Puppies. <laughs> puppies and Peter Lewis. Just set that up as the new Patreon goals. 100 <laughs> patrons, puppy. 200 patrons, puppy. 300 patrons, puppy. <laughs> that would be fantastic. And I think a lot of people would really actually get on board for that. So, <laughs> caveat that. Exactly. It hasn't been made yet. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, I feel like I have taken up enough of your time. Thank you very much for your time. This has been a lovely interview. Very enlightening. Thank you. Thank you for your time and patience and for hunting me down there. I really appreciate it. Thank you again for the wonderful interview, Peter. It was very exciting to speak with you. Be sure to check him out on Twitter, YouTube, and Twitch. The links are in the description down below. You can also check him out on his Patreon if you'd be interested in supporting him and receiving some exclusive content. Check him out on the No Sleep podcast. It is Suddenly Shocking Volume 11, which can be found in the Season 13 Season Pass exclusive. So, link will be down in the description for a link if you would be interested in purchasing that season. You can also check him out on the White Vault and Dark Dice podcasts. Did you know he has a website, and that website has a store? Well, if you would be interested in buying some exclusive Peter Lewis merchandise, you can do so by going to siwelp.com slash merch. That's plewisbackwards.com slash merch. I'll talk to you all later. Bye!